It's uncomfortable to think about, but we've been conditioned to be the way that we are. Whether it's the schools we went to, the types of credentials that we're chasing, the job paths, it's always choose this path or that path. It's pick from a menu. Think about it as a set of default paths that once you're on, you just follow on that path just like everyone else. My friend Paul Millard, who joins me on this session today, likes to think about it differently. After he was on a default path for many years, and trust me, I know that feeling too, I was there, talks about something different, a different type of life exploration, the pathless path. This is also a book that he recently released, and let me say, it was a hell of a book. I definitely think you should check it out if you're exploring something different in your life, career and life. It's an amazing way to think about it. The pathless path is something that we unpack in this episode to understand how to explore more of who you authentically are, your true self. And if you want something more out of career and life, trust me, you're going to love this episode. We focus on one topic really deeply, which is the idea of awakening. As you're exploring this pathless path, you're going to find all sorts of people that are asleep. The great majority of people out there are asleep. But if you're waking up, you want to be around people that are awakened. And the way we structure this conversation is pre-awakening, during the process of awakening, and then post-awakening. What the hell do you do? How do you spend your time? Even if you're still in a corporate job doing traditional things, how do you engage this pathless path? How do you blaze your own and find joy in it? So that's the focus. If you listen today, you're going to find a lot of good guidance and career and life. And if you want to dive more into what Paul has to offer and his great thoughts, check out think-boundless.com. All of Paul's contents there as well as the book, definitely check it out. And last remark, if you get any sort of value out of this, I'd really appreciate if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a quick review. It means a lot. Thanks so much. Growing up, society taught you to follow the script by choosing a career path and climbing the ladder. But for many people, this promise falls flat. Work suffocates them and life becomes painful. Here, you're trapped in what I call the corporate cage. Fortunately, there's a way out. You can take control of your corporate job and unlock a life of freedom. I call this living uncaged. Hi, this is your host, Matt Doan. I'm a coach, creator, and entrepreneur. Uncaging people is my mission because it's been my exact life journey. This show provides you the stories, principles, and tactics to make it happen. Welcome to Uncage Yourself. Hey, Paul Millard, welcome to Uncage Yourself. Thanks, Matt. Oh, man, been looking forward to having this conversation for a while. I know we've been talking a lot through social and some of our meetups. I want to frame this conversation right out of the gate with talking about the great resignation. Huge phrase that's been buzzwordy for a couple of years now since COVID. You said recently in one of your newsletters that rather than thinking about it as the great resignation, we should think about it as the great contemplation. Why is that? Yeah, so the great resignation, it's kind of this phrase that's caught on to say a number of different things. If you ask 25 people what it means, 25, maybe 20 people give you 20 different definitions and five people realize they don't know what it means. Um, 
I think what happened because of COVID, we had this, we had a few things happen at once. We had, um, one is a lot of people were out of work at the beginning of the pandemic, but also after that, there was a sort of freeze in the economy where people didn't change jobs. Uh, people leaving their jobs hit an all time, all time low. And then in 2020, things started like rebounding from that. So you had these record high numbers of people quitting their jobs. But if you extrapolate out based basically pre-pandemic, it's nothing that wild. There's some weird stuff happening in like the manufacturing and travel transport and logistics industries. But broadly in like the business world, you're not really seeing it. Um, However, like basically what I wrote my book about is talking to hundreds of different people in my own journey of sort of asking, what do we believe about what we should do in life? And how does work fit into that? And I was sort of ahead of a lot of people during this pandemic shift to remote work of asking those questions. And I think what I've experienced is just a lot more people are asking those questions. Prior to the pandemic, I would write about these things and broadly, like people would be like, oh, that's cute. Like, that's interesting. You got to work though, buddy. Like that's sort of naive. You're writing about these things. Um, I would also talk to people privately and they would say, well, yeah, I'm thinking all these things, but I can't tell my spouse or I can't tell my friends. Nobody, nobody can know. The pandemic increased our common knowledge that like this is something people are feeling. So I think what's happening right now is there's sort of a refactoring of work beliefs and people are trying to figure out what they are, um, what they want. If the old scripts aren't working anymore, what should they do next? And I don't know if we've seen the fallout from that. I think we'll see the fallout probably over the next decade, but slower than people will think. Yeah, it takes a lot to completely upend all the corporate systems that exist right now. But when you have this emotional and intellectual just tidal wave that's happening and people wrestling with what is work, what was it, what should it be for my life? How do I live my best life? I like that you've been framing these questions for a while and now they're making sense to a lot of people. And when I read your book several months ago, The Pathless Path, I've read it twice more wow. since then. It's been a hugely life-altering book for me. I'll tell you, I read it right as I was getting ready to leave management consulting, something I know you are very familiar with. And it just brought this calm and this important validation to me on what I was experiencing, the questions I was asking and what I wanted out of life. So I just wanted to say thank you and that everyone should get that book. It's an amazing book. We'll make sure to promote it a lot through the notes. But really, it was a well-written, timely piece in this world. It's it's so cool to hear. I, I wish I had my book about five or six years ago. I think what I felt after I left my job was this massive disconnect between what I was feeling and then what the world was telling me and I like this voice in my head, like, here's what you should be doing. Right. And there was a disconnect. And as soon as I quit my job, there was sort of a jolt of a reality, like trying to um, balance those two things. And that's basically what in that gap is where I've been curious for the past five years. And what I've been trying to write about is so many people are thinking these things about work, like should work dominate every moment of my life? And if not, how do we go about thinking about how to orient ourselves? Everyone over 50 has a formula, which is like pretty much get a job. Don't think, put your head down and keep going. Uh, that's been passed down a few generations and doesn't quite work for most people anymore. But we don't have a new story yet. 
So all I'm attempting to do is saying like, here are things I felt. Here's how I reacted to this. I don't know if it will work for you, but at least it's better than like blindly just trying to do what everyone else is doing. Yeah. I love it's not really going for a prescriptive answer, but it's raising the right questions that we can apply in our own lives and showing models for how you and others have done it and actually created the freedom they really want to answer those questions. So we'll get more into the book as we go, Paul. I wanted to orient ourselves in this conversation today to be rather specific. So I have this hypothesis I've been testing with a lot of my coaching clients and some of my content online for a while. It's that the people we meet in life can fall into one of three buckets. It's one of those, right? Um, I see that people can be a certain degree of awake. I think that it's around 80% of the people we meet are asleep. 15% of them are groggy, like they're just waking up. They're like, oh, getting out of bed. I, I think I want to wake up, but I'm not sure yet. And then there's like 5% of the people you meet who are wide awake, see the world clearly. And you know when you meet that type of person. Yeah. And that concept of awakening is something that comes up in your book. And I'd like to focus us on the idea of awakening as the person listening to this right now might be feeling a little groggy and they want to know what they do with their life. Maybe they've been in corporate America for a couple of decades and they want more of what someone like you, that life is like, and they want to create more space and freedom. So I'd like to focus our conversation on the idea of awakening, focusing it on pre-awakening, during awakening, and post-awakening, kind of walk through those phases and see if we can help some people out. How's that sound? Let's do it. Sweet deal. I think this will be rather natural and fun. So, okay, number one, pre-awakening. This is, <laughs> you know, where we're trapped for many years oftentimes, because as you say, we're following default paths, listening to the scripts that our generations before us have handed down to us. Pick this path or that path, succeed well, get the grades, build the resume bullets, all these things. We're being asked to, especially as like millennial generation, this is probably the last generation that's been living that really deeply. It's pick a menu of default paths. And I just want to dig in with you. How did work, first off, become this defining feature of our life progress? It feels like what it's been. How did that become that way? Yeah, so... If you start going deep about this, you eventually get back to like the Protestant Reformation. And Eric Fromm, a philosopher, was writing about this in the 1900s. And he was saying before the 16th century, man did not have this deep yearning to dedicate all of his life's effort towards work. And in the Protestant Reformation, something flipped. Um, where a lot of what was happening was like people like Luther and Calvin were trying to like undermine the Catholic church. And what they were trying to do is shift one's relationship with God from one of a relationship to the church to one of a direct relationship with God, which meant like people now needed some sort of like quote unquote proof that they were like headed to heaven or being good. Right. And I think it was Luther first and then Calvin sort of supercharged this idea that like every human is born with a predestined path and a predestined work that they are meant to do. However, nobody could really know what this work was meant to be. You just sort of had to have faith. And one of the best ways to um, not worry about it was just work as much as possible all the time. 
Um, so to like throw as, mu- as much effort into possible into like those worldly pursuits. Um, and I think over generations, this more or less kind of spread um, with Catholicism around the world and is just deeply ingrained in like Western culture, especially. Um, so there's that element. And there's also just the more um, re- Catholic religious or, or that's kind of the Protestant um, remix, but the Catholic mindset is like thou who does not suffer does not eat. Right. So these things are with us. And when you see people like Oprah say like, you need to find your gifts, you need to find your calling. This is the, one of the most important things in the world. If you just took away Oprah and made it like a religious figure from the 16th century, it wouldn't sound that different. Except what's changed now is we don't have the same culture at that time there was a real concern of like basically working to meet one's and one's community's needs. Um, now we're working in jobs where people are providing for themselves and their families far beyond that. Like second and third car, like there were no cars in the Protestant Reformation. Um, so we still have these scripts and these work beliefs and they're sort of hand-me-down. They get chipped away every century with like a little less and less um, wisdom surrounding them. And we're sort of just left with like the idea of like suffer, work hard, and we don't know why. Don't ask. Don't ask. Right. And then what happened after World War II is we created this like full-time job, professional full-time job where people could kind of like work 40 hours, go to an office and like life just sort of showed up. You could do it one single parent households um, and the house showed up, the family and like everything was fine. You just keep that job and like everything would be fine. So I think what's happened is we sort of started to have faith generation after generation. That Like the whole point was to get that one freaking job at 18 to 25 years old and then just like make sure you never give it up so like the aim of life for people became not simply to work but basically to like find work and then like try everything not to lose it right the problem with this is like you're uh, presupposing with like your line of questioning is we've just said like there is this sense of like humans can awaken, become alive, become connected, have this deeper sense of leisure, um, have these creative connections, this deeper union with themselves, others in the world. And like, we're just like, eh, we'll just ignore those things and like hope most people don't notice. Right. So I, 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 I sort of went on there. So I'll, I'll kind of pause so we can dive in a little deeper. Yeah. It's amazing when you look at that and all the, you call it the default paths eventually, right? Where you plug in and work becomes the thing to aim for because it enables all of life's features, the American dream, white picket fence, two kids, all these things. And then that cascades down to everything you experience leading up to the great job from the schooling systems and graduate undergrad on down to K through 12. And we're all looking to eventually take every step we need to plug into a system that creates the good life. But eventually, for a lot of people, especially that have gone through this great contemplation over the last two years, be like, that good life isn't so good. It, it quite sucks sometimes. And we want something more. This default path, it, it felt addictive for all these years. 
And and now we're beginning to awaken to like, no, it, it it's actually not that great. We want something more. But I'm just curious, like, why are people today, even as they see others become more entrepreneurial or nomadic or have just more freedom in their lives, why is this default path still so addictive to so many people? Yeah, I, I think the challenge is because it works so well at young ages. So I find this is pretty true for many people who sort of get stuck when as they age, which is, okay, you were 22, you got a job, and for the first two to five years, you really loved it. It was hard, it was challenging, you were surrounded by other young, energetic, um, excited people learning a lot, and it was kind of great. However, what happens is like that learning sort of diminishes. You become good at a skill or you like land into a career path and like the learning becomes much more of like, how do I continue to perform as this kind of worker in this kind of career rather than like, oh, how am I learning how to like present and communicate more effectively, which is pretty interesting and fun to learn, right? That's what makes consulting so great at younger ages, but makes it a little boring after you've sort of figured out how to do that at an above average level. So the real problem is that we sort of think we're doing the same thing, but we're actually in a totally different environment. So I was in my career for almost 10 years and I didn't really notice that like I was drifting into cynicism. I was becoming sleepy and I was heading on a trajectory where I was lowering the odds that I would ever be able to reawaken myself. Right. My surroundings were the same. People were the same. Like, in fact, people were praising me more and not questioning. Why are you? Nobody says, why are you doing this when you're like making a lot of money in America? If you make a lot of money, you're a smart person. That's it. It's all that matters. Everyone thinks you're nuts if you give that up. Right. Um, But I sort of discovered like after my health crisis when I was 27 and until the age of 32 when I decided to walk away, which was that like. Oh, I'm experiencing these different ways of orienting towards the world in which when I deprioritize work and explore other things, there's this exciting feeling. And I sort of just decided I would continue to listen to that voice. The easy thing to do is be start being cynical to yourself or gaslighting yourself. I shouldn't complain. I have a good job. What am I supposed to do? Not work? These are the things people say. And they're very effective at destroying your own curiosity. I'm just too curious, though. And I just kept asking, like, what if? Is there another life possible? And I didn't even have the imagination that, like, I would do anything close to what I'm doing now. It was just like, there's got to be something else. There's got to be more. Yeah, spot on. As you were talking about the first few years of your career and what that felt like, I think it's you know, you put on that suit, you go in the elevator, you got your shiny shoes, you're ready to go and you feel exhilarated and stuff is new yeah. and you're growing and learning. <clears throat> and you ha- you get this foothold, like let's not ignore the important foothold that say a corporate career can provide you. Consulting is a great way, right? Where you make your way up the chain every one and a half to two years, you get these pay grades, you can pay bumps and then you can create more lifestyle for yourself and upgrade different things, get access to new opportunities, degrees, if that's exactly what you want, go get that MBA, whatever it might be. You get this foothold, but then over time you sort of 
you fall into this robotic routine and you're doing the same thing. You've phrased this before that eventually, instead of doing the work, you're doing performative work, right? right? Just to put on the show of the work itself, to keep getting paid, to keep the salary flowing into your veins. And it's just, you start realizing that there's something more and you're beginning to awaken. Yeah. A a big thing for me that snapped me into higher awareness of what was happening was I started listening to more and more podcasts in 2014. Things like Seth Godin's podcast, Tim Ferriss's podcast exposed me to these different kinds of people taking weird paths. Listening to people like Derek Sivers, which is like, I founded a company, but I didn't really want to keep doing it. So I just like outsourced myself, sold it and walked away. Now I do whatever I want. I was like, this person is very alive and curious. (laughs) Or Seth Godin, he's 60 years old, keeps, seems to keep quitting stuff throughout his career and starting new adventures and is super energized when he's on podcasts and stuff. I'm like, what is that? What is that? And then comparing that to like showing up in the office um, in New York City, um, sitting in offices of people that are like overweight tired, complaining about being overweight and tired and making a million dollars a year. And I'm like, you couldn't pay me hundred million dollars a year to be that person. It's like, what, what is that? (laughs) And I just like, it's just this yearning for like, like aliveness that like drove me. And Like at the same time, I was becoming burnt out because in that last job, I was like working on projects that should have taken like two weeks that would take like a year and a half. And just like, what is that? This is so pointless. And like, it was really easy. I was making good money and not working that much, but I couldn't do it like a day longer than like when I decided to quit. Like my body was just done. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about the second piece of our conversation, the feelings of awakening. I liked how you framed up in your book, Paul, the idea, your friend Kei how he had 15 years in finance and then he felt something was off. He didn't know quite what it was. It wasn't like this overnight, like, holy shit, I'm done with corporate. It wasn't that. It was like, there's a pebble in my shoe. It's uncomfortable when I'm walking. And it was more of a gradual thing. And I think you framed it that way over the years too. Could you talk about more specifically, over those years of waking up, what sorts of questions were going through your mind specifically? Yeah, I, I think, and this is so common in people that eventually take the leap. I often field questions from people that shouldn't take a leap. Um, and their questions are like, what about this? What about like, what about money? What about like having a home for your kids? What about if you have kids? It's like, you're not like the kind of people that eventually take a, a leap. The kind of people that take a leap have that pebble in their shoe. They notice it. It always bothers them. They can't get the thought out of their head. And they sense that like that pebble is like their life is doomed. Eventually they come face to face with that. And in that case, like walking away, potentially lighting your savings on fire, giving up status and credibility is like whatever. (laughs) Right. It's like, it's still hard. Right. And this is what I write about is like, it, I was like, whatever, like, I don't care anymore. I'm so like nihilistic about like my corporate career and like my path that it was just like, this is so silly. It feels like I'm doomed if I stay on this. 
Um, and I could care less. I'm going to walk away. That doesn't mean you also don't like fear about money and all those things and providing for your family when you leave. It's just that like you have a sense that like a better life is possible. And I think it becomes more potent if you have kids. And this is something that's funny. I talked to parents, you're a parent. The stakes are actually higher for people like you because you can sort of ignore the pebble in your shoe. You're just kind of grumpy to random people in your life. But if you're like grumpy to your kids, you start noticing that at a deeper level and that pebble becomes much bigger than a pebble. You can't even put your shoes on and you're like, what am I doing? I'm telling my kids they should explore their curiosity and creativity in school. And then I'm like, not that at all. Yeah. Let me make something very real for you on how you impacted my life. Last week, uh, we do an annual uh, beach vacation with my extended family. Several families get together. And as I, I was explaining to my 14-year-old daughter, she's about to enter high school. And she's obsessed with good grades, like got to get straight A's. She's always had straight yeah. A's. And I want her to relax on this and understand that the grades, the numbers, the credentials aren't the thing that's going to create fulfillment in your life. And I said, listen, right here, right now, I am out of a traditional job talking to my daughter. I am here present with you. I took a very intentional choice to find a new way to provide for my family that's entrepreneurial and that's risky. And like, that was scary. I was telling her that was very scary. And what I was having to do was, and I framed it this way, I had to say goodbye to the default paths, which are the ones that are very obvious and laid out in front of you and said, I'm actually going to be talking with my friend Paul on Monday about this idea of the pathless path. And I gave an attempt to describe what that was like to say that we can follow more of our interests. We can explore the lifestyle we want, the curiosities we have in life. And it doesn't have to be prescriptively laid out for us. We don't need to take this step, then that step, but we don't need to please all the gatekeepers. Like, screw that. Like, there are other ways. And I told her, it's like, I'm trying my best right now as your dad to role model that for you. So you can see what it's like to do something very scary when you have a lot of responsibility. And I hope you take these lessons to heart to figure out how to create your own pathless path and do what feels good. Because at the end of the day, we're all chemical beings and we just got to do what feels good. That's how we sustain energy and momentum and all these things. So I just wanted you to know that I was able to use your book as an analogy for teaching my daughter how to think about high school and beyond. What did she say? <laughs> she was like, wow, that sounds a lot better than picking the right degree. I was like, yeah, it does. And I was like, you're going to have to figure out what it means for you step by step, year by year. But realize you don't have to follow someone else's recipe. You can create your own. Yeah. And I think that breathing room is really important, especially for her. Like, it sounds like she's probably smart enough and driven enough to like be fine. Right. And you, you know that. Right. Except like so many people like that have this like deep fear that like if they don't keep going perfectly, like everything is going to blow up. Right. And that is the stuff that sort of like eats up your sense of aliveness over time. And it may not show up until you're 30 or 40 or even older. It's just that like basically what I wrote my book about is like become more aware that there's a different way of looking at things and then like figure out what the costs and price of things are like. I think most people it would be great to like work in consulting, <laughs> but what consulting is 10 years in versus two years in is a very different environment. Yeah. And your life stage has a lot to do with that. For sure. Um, and a, a lot of why I 
took my leap is about like wanting a family and kids. And this is the thing people don't realize. It's like, I want to put myself in a position so I can sort of like have at least some confidence. I can like provide a basic standard of living. It Like I'll, I'll go without food and shelter and healthcare and take care of my kids before me. But like, I, I just want to have the confidence that I can be alive because there's far too many men in the world that don't try that or don't even think about like wanting to prioritize, like being alive and connected. Yeah. Yeah. They start to wake up and then they just take that sleeping pill because it's too painful to try something new. Yeah. They go back to what they've always known. So that was a good way of framing what you were wrestling with that pebble in your shoe as you were waking up. I want to talk about as you were awake, especially while you were still in consulting, what that was like. But before we get there, could you frame up just so everyone's on the same page in your terms, what is the pathless path? Yeah. So the pathless path is basically just like a mantra. Um, I think I describe it a few different, I mean, describe it several ways in the book, but it's basically just permission to not feel so crazy and to give yourself permission to kind of pursue things that feel right, feel good, or might lead you in an interesting direction. It's a mantra I discovered in David White's book, The Three Marriages, that sort of names something that can't be, like, and names, named a feeling I was feeling. Early on in my path of becoming self-employed, at first I thought, okay, I'm just going to become a freelance consultant. Like, I'll just switch my, how I describe myself, all good. Not how it worked. I left my job, jolt of reality. This, the like, the soup of like being a non-worker, non-legible, not fitting in people's paradigm, giving up success felt crazy. Just, I felt so freaking weird. Um, and David White's book really helped me a year into that journey, which was like, oh, not knowing what comes next, next might actually be a feature. Like, when on my consulting path, I always knew what came next. You just have to keep grinding on these slides and then you'll get the next promotion. You can bounce around to different companies and get like good paying jobs. You just need to keep showing up every morning and doing these things. I always knew what came next. And it was way too much predictability for me. Predictability on a path I wasn't super excited about. Now, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in three months or six months, or nine months, let it alone five years. Do I have a sense, better sense now than five years ago that I can kind of like, quote unquote, make it? Yeah. But I don't know it like what trajectory or like career or what like social status or like income levels. No idea. Um, but I do know that like the downside is pretty good, which means that I'm I've sort of figured out a way of orienting my life where I can make money, make enough to at least live in America, very easily live in other countries um, and still be alive and energized. It's like I've sort of solved that problem. So when I was walking away, like I didn't know that was going to be the point of my journey, but I've sort of figured out that like not knowing what comes next is a feature. So I'm sort of actively designing experiments into my life now, living in different places, trying different kinds of work, trying different experiments, working in different ways, such that I can keep learning. 
And when I learn more, I can figure out what the costs are emotionally, financially, spiritually, um, status needs. A lot of people don't talk about status needs, but if you take a path like mine, if your family's not entrepreneurial, most people will judge you negatively or even love you less. Just the reality. Um, And you got to figure out what those costs are and if you're willing to pay them. Um, And for me, that's what having the unknown in my life is worth. It helps me figure out the costs and the price of taking this path. And then I can continue to either opt into it or decide to take a different way. Yeah. I I can feel how you've built a foundation through a skill set experimentation that you know you can get by wherever you are. And better to have that in your terms, in your in your worldview, better to have that in your autonomy and your freedom than make a ton of money and be under someone else's terms where they're controlling your time and mental energy and all these things. Like there's, I can see the trade-off you've made there. And not everyone will make that trade-off, but I can see how like you've come to grips with that and you understand that you can orient your life that way. And you could dial up making more money if you needed to. Clearly you have the skill set. You've been there. I mean, what you've done in the past could do so much from a monetary standpoint, but you also know by doing that, turning that dial, you'd be losing other features of life sometimes. We have to understand just the balance at at play right there. One thing, uh, you brought up David White earlier. Uh, One thing that I think a lot of our audience struggles with, so say they're waking up right now or they've awoken like, oh, oh man, I want something more like this corporate drudgery is killing me. I want to see what I'm capable of, but I'm not really ready yet to leave corporate. Like there has to be an off ramp, but I want to minimize the pain that corporate's exerting on my life right now. And David White, I think in your book wrote this, I want to frame it up for everyone and then get your reaction. And it pertains to how you're spending your time within a corporate environment. He said, if there are clear boundaries to behaviors within a given field or endeavor, then there is also great freedom to adapt and imagine within those lines. These boundaries, however, should always be tested to see if they are actually still real. It takes conscious acts by individuals to test these edges. So what he's saying there, and I would love your reaction, is (laughs) we walk into environments, we assume cultural norms, this is the way of being, this is what success looks like, thou shalt fit within this box, or we feel we'll be punished. But what he's saying is like, no, push on those boundaries, test what's really possible, see what you can make of it yourself. I would love like maybe what that means to you and how you've implemented that idea. Yeah, for, for me, I didn't know these boundaries were there until I started accidentally testing them. I think I started testing them for the first time after I recovered from a health crisis at 27. I had a really bad case of Lyme disease. And I started like just deciding I would prioritize my health in ways like sleeping in longer and like skipping morning meetings. And like people didn't love it, but nothing super bad happened. And I was like, oh, okay. I can sort of take more ownership over my life. So it started small. I started experimenting. I started doing like a little writing on the side. And it was like, oh, what if people find out and make fun of me and tell me, tell me to stop posting? Nobody said anything again. And I kind of like pushed more boundaries, got a little more confidence. Um, and then like started doing more side experiments. And I felt like super shameful of doing these things. 
I was always scared of like, what will my employer think? What will my manager say? What will he say? Because there was very much this period of like, if you aren't the right rank, you shouldn't be sharing stuff on social media and you can't put your name on like publications. When I was at BCG, I wrote like 80% of like the transformation report. You can read like the acknowledgements and it's like, oh, thank you, Paul Miller. Just like I wrote the whole damn thing. They didn't put my name on it because I wasn't a partner. Um, and I know that one. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, if you're not, that's what the old world tells you. If you're not the right rank, the right position or the right connected person, like you don't matter. Um, so I sort of like started to test that and it's like, oh, I wrote an article on Medium or, or LinkedIn and someone reached out to me and they said they really liked it and they wanted to meet up and it like influenced their thinking. It's like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> um, everything they're telling me at work is about like diminishing me, making me smaller, telling me I'm not patient enough, telling me I'm naive for wanting to get promoted and all these things. And like over here, somebody's like, Oh, I liked what you wrote. It matters. And like, it's making me think, can we talk about it? It's like, I liked that. <laughs> so I was pushing these boundaries mm -hmm. and getting interesting results. And in addition, I was just being excited about working on some of these small side projects. I wasn't thinking like side hustle or monetizing these things. I was just like drawn to do them. And it felt super interesting. And then when I, after I left my job, the whole first year was like, Holy crap. I didn't even know I was like stuck within a box when I was in the box. Like it took me leaving my job to realize how constrained my imagination was. The reason I didn't quit earlier is because I didn't even think of it. I didn't think about working on my own. I didn't have anyone in my entire extended family that did anything besides work full time or be a stay at home mother. Everything was oriented around wage work. And that was the most important thing. It was never to be risked. That was the script I grew up with. Um, so I slowly started listening to these podcasts, like start meeting these different people. And I was feeling like, oh, I'm like kind of like these people. <laughs> and yeah, I think the more I pushed and I'm still pushing. Like, I think a big thing for me is like, I thought I wanted to escape work. And I wanted to like work less and sort of just like live a simple life, low cost, minimalist. It's not really what I wanted. What I want now is like basically to have the right to do work that I'm excited to wake up and do and feel connected to. And I didn't know that kind of work was possible until after I took my leap. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the conversations we had, you said something like the great work of our life is to continue finding the great work of our life, yeah. right? Like that is the exciting, exhilarating thing where it's always going to change. It's, it necessarily adapts. You grow as a person, your interests grow. They don't stay stagnant. So you almost have to be pathless, right? Because you're following this windy set of interests, unpredictable. You don't know what's around the corner, but your headlights show on you like, oh, I'm going to go do that now. That's interesting. And it and it works out over time, but you've got to know the aim you want, the lifestyle that generally feels right, but there's no prescriptive map for that. Yeah, the way I frame this is that, and this comes from Stephen Cope's book, The Great Work of Your Life. Uh, I sort of remixed his term a little, but it's really inspiring. He talks about all these great people in life and they find stuff that brings them alive and connects them to like the source of the universe. I don't know how else to describe this, but once you find yeah. this, it's incredible. And it, it, 
you experience it in such a powerful way that makes like my former work just look absolutely silly. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. For money, it's like, so what? It was like, I didn't feel any of this. So like what I want to convey is like this state in which you can feel connected to things you're doing, want to keep doing it for extended stretches of time, if not forever, is possible. Now, given that it is possible, if you buy that from me, we should be, that should be the great work of our life is like, how the hell do we find that? <laughs> like, we should be like doing everything possible to find it, right? And people aren't willing to risk anything. People will <laughs> spend $200,000 and go spend another $100,000 on cost of living and then give up $100,000 of salary to go to a top business school. And they already know what the outcome is going to be. But like if you tell people, oh, you could find a work that is so that could bring you so much aliveness and connectedness. And people are like, oh, I'm not giving up anything for that. <laughs> but you could do like what me and you are doing is like basically quit your job and sort of say like, OK, how can I like lower my spend a little bit, like spend a little of my savings and like maybe even like make a little money, do freelancing or something, um, do whatever is possible. You work at a bar if you have to. Um and like maybe spend like five grand on the search. Like that is a damn good investment. It is, especially knowing that that corporate role with the skill set you've built is pretty much always available for the taking should you need to go back to it. Yeah. So the downside of taking a risk on yourself, even if it was purely a side hustle, is so minimal. Yet we psych ourselves up with, oh, I can't do that. That's unsafe. People will throw the finger at me. They'll be so mad. I can't do that. I'm not an executive. I can't post on LinkedIn and Twitter. Bullshit. Yes, you can. It's all a story in your head that you program that says, I can't do, I can't do, I won't do. Once you flip that switch, surround yourself with a few inspiring people that have done it and are doing it, whole worlds change. You just got to take that brave risk to say, yes, I'm going to do it. And I'll manage the consequences, which inevitably aren't so bad. That whole thing, Paul, of like meetings, for example, the last three years I was in management consulting, I, I basically couldn't do daily standups anymore. I wouldn't do them. I refused. Yeah. They they infringed on my creative energy in the mornings, which is the only time my brain works. So whether it was personal stuff or whether I was doing deliverables that took a lot of brain power, I was like, no, I'm not doing the stupid 15 minute standup that has no purpose. Literally, it's the worst, worst constructed thing I've ever been in. And it's sacrificing not just 15 minutes, but the 30 minutes leading up to them thinking about it, the 45 minute residual. Like this is a huge sacrifice times 15 people do you understand the costs that you're pushing on people? Yeah. And like, once you have agency and you know yourself and you know what you can be within an organization, maximize for that. But then ask yourself outside of this organization, what more can I be? What can I do to push and experiment with myself? Sorry, you got me on a rant. No, I love it. I, <laughs> and that, Well, this is the hidden upside too, is what I've sort of discovered is, okay, there were all these costs and it was pretty shitty in the first year or two. But I started to discover, oh, doing things online, there's all these upsides to like sharing on the internet. Like I started writing about freelance talent platforms early on in my path. And the, the article like sort of went viral in that community and all the CEOs started reaching out to me. And I was like, oh crap, I wouldn't have been able to publish something like this in a consulting firm for like another seven years or something. <laughs> Now I can just like do this and like the power of the internet is really powerful. And if other people are just going to ignore it, that's more upside for me. 
And then more broadly, just taking ownership of your life and trying to figure things out. I've sort of like promoted myself far beyond middle management. Now, if I had to go back in to work for a company, I would only take a job at like very highest levels of an organization or an extremely autonomous, like high agency person, because I've learned all these skills. I know how to get things done. I know how to push forward on projects. Um, I know how to like manage myself. And like, basically you're learning the opposite as you climb the ladder because the incentives are for you to ignore all those feelings of what you need and what you want and what enables you to thrive to please the organization or the insecure male you're working for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the idea of going back into an organization that you just mentioned, I've seen a lot of people do that recently, but very confidently and on their own terms. So many people, you know, they, they go out after being burned out, they step away their own sabbatical creator experiment, whatever it is, they explore their spiritual side, test different skills, and then they go like, okay. You know, what usually happens is that attracts offers on its own. Like people are magnetized to that person. Like you are a kick-ass software engineer. Now you've got this philosophical bent. Can you come do that here in our organization now? You're like, yeah, but I'm going to do it under my own terms. Here's how I'm going to be. Here's how the role's going to be. Here's how I show up. Here's what I will do. Here's what I won't do. Because you know, once you've like left the matrix, you're never going back. So you're going to do it on your own terms. You're like Neo flying (laughs) back in. Like, here's how I'm going to deal with the agents. Screw them. Like, here's how I'm going to be. This is my world now. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just exerting your own agency finally and the you benefit the organization benefits because you're operating in your zone of genius and it's just like a healthier way of being yeah and i see this a lot this is why i think people shouldn't quit their job they should just take a three-month sabbatical or do like a one-year freelance creator experiment oftentimes you just figure out the costs you were paying and then you just go back and you're like i'm not going to pay them also, like earning less money can desensitize you to like the neat, the like thought that you always need to be getting paid more and more because it, it makes visible the trade off between like income and life energy. You're like giving up for that. So like you have more degrees of freedom when you like go back to employment. You can say like, OK, I'll never do a st- daily stand up. I'm actually only going to work six hours a day. You can pay me 30 percent less. Um, but I'm going to kick ass and like, I know exactly how I'm going to succeed. I know exactly what I'm good at. And like, I'm going to deliver. I will never not deliver. I guarantee it because I'm defining the like terms of me being able to show up. And a lot of people will be like, oh yeah, we want that. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) One of my, uh, friends is actually going back into said consulting firm yeah. <laughs> that we talked about earlier. Um, he's starting day one today. And he was thankful uh, for the opportunity. And I said, listen, just know that you can do this on your terms. Yeah, you can. for sure. You can be successful. You can create immense value for them. Just be awake and do so. And he took it to heart. And I'm hoping to help coach him through it and see where it goes with the whole thing. But I just want more people who have started to awake and gotten out of that groggy state. And they're like, they've seen people that have taken more control of their environment. Like I can do something right here where I am in this job. I don't care what the external circumstances I control, how I show up 
and I can change a lot of my own daily reality through my choices, things can get better right here and now. It doesn't have to come three, four years into the future or after leaping into an entrepreneurial space. I think companies are getting wiser too. Like companies do get a lot of flack, but they are getting smarter, especially the best companies. The best companies really are starting to wake up that like there's been this invisible tax, especially on like parents and families, which is like, okay, we'll just pay you enough so you can like hire outsource like daycare and like caretaking to other people. But like, that's not actually what people want. Right. So there was this sort of implicit agreement that like everyone would like take this deal and like handle it. But like, that's not actually best for everyone. That's also not going to get you the best employees. Right. So I think companies are increasingly open to like people taking sabbaticals. Like I could imagine working for a company in the future for like six months of the year. And then taking six months off or something like that, or like three months on, three months off, something like that. I don't know what it's going to look like, but if companies are smart, they're going to be refactoring how they're working. And a lot of the reason this hasn't happened yet, and like my background is organizational change. The reason it hasn't happened is because the assumption is most people will work most days. And if you assume that, you can just sort of not even think about how you work. But remote has changed that, right? It's shifting more attention to output and thinking about how do we actually structure our work around projects. Consulting firms are actually perfectly aligned for this because they could just staff somebody on a project and then take them off, right? It's just they've sort of just taken advantage of like the incredible career anxiety that these kind of people have and just made them like continuously work for throughout their adulthood. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, though. There are companies out there that are structuring programs, sabbaticals or whatever they want to call it to not lose these people, to give them the space to explore and be their own selves and even benefits and such included. So that might be a feature to look for whenever you're going to the next thing within a corporate world. Look for those features to have the flexibility to step away more than just five weeks vacation, which is cool and all. But what about sabbatical season? What could that be for your life? So. Anything you want to add on there? No, I I just wish more Good. companies would experiment with this stuff. Like, I'd love to just see like if it, like companies have all these sabbaticals on like a suffering script. It's like if you suffer for us for five years, then you will earn your three month sabbatical. And it's like that doesn't match up to like people's like life crises sometimes. <laughs> They don't have your life crisis on your five-year timeline. They might really need one at three years, and they might be a super valuable employee for 20 years if you actually let them do that instead of having to feel like they need to blow up their life. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one week I saw five people on one project team all quit in the same week, more or less calling burnout or mental health. Wow. All in the same week on the same project. I was astounded, astounded. And it was only shortly after that you started to see sabbatical programs and such come to life. But it's like, wow, got to do something different if that's where things are. So, so, Paul, I think that was a good run through. We talked about awakening, like the pre-awakening, what it's like to deal with the awakening process. And then, okay, once you've woken up, what sorts of things can I do to experiment? What sorts of boundaries and edges do I push against? That was a good view there. Would you mind if we flip to a little bit of rapid fire? Let's do it. Sweet deal. All right. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? 
I don't know. I'm ter- I'm terrible at getting advice. I think uh, I, my favorite piece of advice or wisdom is from Tuesdays with Maury, uh, Maury Schwartz. Um, he says, create your own culture. Um, if you don't like the culture, uh, don't buy it. Create your own culture. And I love that. It's in my book too. Um, and it's just the spirit of like, yeah, if it's not working for you, you got to create your own, which means you have to take responsibility for like creating the the things you want to see in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's such a touching book and message. Flip side, what is the worst piece of advice you've received? You can't just quit your job. <laughs> uh, yeah. Enough said. Yeah, pretty much at like every point in my life, people told me like, you can't leave your job. So it'd be stupid to leave now. And it was always better and I should have left sooner. <laughs> oh man. You talk about uh, the trap of meaningful work. What what's that about? Yeah, I, I think modern meaningful work is a derivative of the Protestant work ethic, which says find your calling and you will be saved by God. Um, we sort of have the same thing without the like religious culture. So it's like find your calling and you will be saved, right? And companies promise like meaningful work, except like I just don't think the job container can um, give you meaningful work. There's just like too much... Um, too much like baggage with working at a big company. And like, I just think we have to have lower expectations more broadly and unpair it too from like work. Meaningful work might be something that's paid for. Um, I don't, I think that's mostly wishful thinking. Like in my case, like writing has not been something I could sustain my life on, but it enriches my life. Um, and it doesn't really fit in a job container, at least not the way I want to do it. Yeah. And instead of leaping from place to place looking for that dream job, which implies there is meaning at that new spot, I think the more that you can compartmentalize it and say, the job is a utility, it gives me substance to live a life and I can find meaning like writing on my own time and actual yeah. desires, that's a lot more useful way to live. Yeah, it's... If you could... Go ahead. Yeah, it's also this meme that's just like, oh, I want to find meaningful work. And like, they're only talking about like full-time jobs. This is why companies are trying to promise it. Like Facebook says, do the most meaningful work of your life. Like, I don't know. I don't think you're going to find it at Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Doubtful, quite doubtful. Paul, if you were starting your career right now, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, God. I wish I was starting my career right now. It's such an exciting time. Like there's so much more opportunity than there was when I was graduating, even in 07. I would just say, write, write in public, write as much as possible. I wouldn't tell myself to like quit my job or anything like that. I would just say, write publicly and be braver than you think you should. Proven. If you spend any time on Twitter, LinkedIn, you can see what it does for people's livelihoods and they're just friends and relationships. It's amazing where that goes. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I basically just get to like make friends through my stuff. So like thoughtful people that are curious and are trying to become more live, reach out to me and they become my friends. And those people are kind of rock. And that's great. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it's just as a byproduct of that, doors will open from a professional standpoint, a way to earn a living. It's just a way it works. It's not the intent. 
but it's like you have great friendships that just accelerates the opportunity to create a better life. Yeah. Happier people. It's easier to make money when you're happier. <laughs> Damn straight. Just a few things to wrap up, Paul. Uh, what does uncaged mean to you? Um, uncaged is really about just like starting to look around and pushing that frontier. Like we were quoting David White before. Um, I thought I wanted to be uncaged and that was the whole point when I left my job. I just wanted to escape. Um, but what I discovered was that there was sort of this new challenge, this new territory, this new terrain, this new way of looking at things that was much harder than I expected, but also much more rewarding. Um, so it's sort of like the removing of these boundaries. And I think if I'm honest, I look back and like, I thought I was in a cage, but there actually was no cage at all. It was all here, right? It was of your own making. It was the almost. manager in my head. You talked about being in a box. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's my whole thought process too is like, I call it the corporate cage, which is not an external environment being placed upon you, but it's a set of assumptions you live by and you're saying yes to. And you can choose to step out and live differently, whether it's within an organization, outwards on your own. There's lots of things you can do, but first make the choice. Paul, where can people connect with you online? How might you be able to help them? Uh, boundless.substack.com. I write weekly um, on Twitter, Paul Millard, pretty easy to find. And then like five years of my reflections are in my book, The Pathless Path. Um, if you don't have the money, I'll gift it to you. Um, I just want to share the ideas with people. But yeah, this is a really good uh, podcast. It's uh this is one of the, the better interviews just because I think we share a lot of similar background and uh, yeah, we're doing similar things now. So it's, it's cool to have you uh, ask questions. Made me think a lot too. Thanks. For Matt. sure. Definitely, Paul. I think we can go help a lot of consultants <laughs> in need. I think some are waking up and I'd like, we could go out there and I want to get your book in front of them first and foremost. I'm telling you, man, for people listening, that is a hugely important investment, a small little investment to change your life. So definitely get the pathless path. Uh, what closing message, Paul, would you want to leave with the audience today? Uh, just kind of question. Um, what's the, the question I ask people that starts either excites and interests. Some people are like for a lot of people, they're just like, ah, I don't want to ask those kind of questions. Question I ask people that usually starts a train of curiosity is what is the story about work that you grew up with? And do you still have to believe that? Could think for days on that one. That's <laughs> deep. Yeah. Well said. We'll leave it there. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Paul, thanks for your time today. This was awesome. Look forward to chatting soon. All right. See ya. <laughs> hey, Matt here. Thanks for listening to Uncage Yourself. For show notes and more content like this, head over to uncageyourself.fm. And if you liked what you heard, I'd appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Until next time, be well, my friend.